Good morning, good morning. I hope you can say it's good to be in the house of the Lord today, to give him thanks and praise, sing songs unto him, Lord. To actually honor and worship our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope the message this morning will be one of challenging to you and something of worth encouraging you. And as uh, we go into it, uh, the world of God is in a crazy place right now. You know, I believe we all can agree that we live in a crazy and a sin-cursed world. Each day, we seem to be exposed more and more to more bad news and frightening events. And let's face it, we are living in turbulent and troubled times. We again have the fear of the COVID virus raising its ugly head in a mutated Delta variant, making people sick. We have crime that runs rapid across our country, people getting shot every day, we're hearing on the news. It was reported that over Labor Day weekend, 60, at 6-0, people were shot in Chicago alone. We have news videos of stores being looted, flash mobs going into and stealing stuff right during daylight hours while the stores are open. We have cars being hijacked or stolen while the drivers are still present, either outside or some even being ripped from behind the wheel of their cars. Inflation appears to be skyrocketing. Go to the grocery store and see what the prices are. Go online and see how things keep going up and up and up. Wildfires and floods are causing millions of dollars worth of damage and taking precious lives throughout our country and, and the world. And the politics of it all, we have battles waging in politics. Every day we can see this on the news, right? At the local government levels, at the state levels, at the federal levels, and even internationally. And we've got crisis on the southern border and we've got crisis overseas at this time. These are troubling events and are reported almost every day in the news. They're covered by the printed page. Well, you can read it in our newspapers. Different news networks broadcast them over either cable or over, over the Internet or, or over streaming systems, some of them 24-7. In social media, these topics populate the posts and the streaming contents, each giving their own little spin or twist on what the event is. These troubling events, I have to confess, when I watch the news on TV, they make me feel sometimes powerless. I feel sickened by them. It makes me angry inside. Sometimes I, I get all riled up. You feel like you have to do something and there's nothing can be done. Maybe some of you feel the same way after watching some of the news reports. It's troubling. It's very troubling. On top of it, after reporting all these hard events, one news commentator often closes his newscast with the words which I've listed and abbreviated in the top of the notes on today's sermon. I put down it L-N-Y-H-B-T. Let not your heart be troubled. After reporting almost 45 minutes of horrific events, he closes with the words of Jesus, let not your heart be troubled. And, and you know, he's absolutely right. We as believers shouldn't be troubled by all these things. I, as a believer, shouldn't be troubled by these things. We know God is sovereign. Let not your heart be troubled. 
These words are part of one of my favorite passages of Scripture. They're actually words of comfort. Words of comfort that contain promises. Promises that we should look forward to, that we should cling on to every day. There's two promises of comfort within this chapter and containing many parts within them. But for today, I would like to look at first the first part of it. And as you probably guessed by now, if you looked at the notes, I'm referring to John chapter 14. It again is on page 1282 of your pew Bible. I'd like to, to turn to it at this time. That's John chapter 14. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 6. And while you're turning there, I'll set the background to this text. John, who the disciple who penned this gospel and most modestly refers to himself about five times throughout it as the disciple whom Jesus loved, has written about a total of 21 chapters in this gospel. Now the first 12 chapters include the five out of the seven I am statements of Jesus. Goes into I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life. The sixth of these we'll look at today within this text. Now the last eight chapters of his book amount to about, oh, it's actually over 30% of John's gospel. Those are chapters from 13 to 21, and they sent around a very short period of time. These are Jesus' last days on the earth. Now starting in chapter 14 and through the end of chapter 16, we have what is known as the Upper Room Discourse. Now this discourse takes place after Jesus has washed the disciples' feet, after the Passover meal, which we commonly refer to as Last Supper, and after Judas has gotten up and has left this gathering. Now it takes place right before Jesus' high priestly prayer, before he goes out into the garden on the slopes of the Mount of Olives and prays, and before he's taken into custody, brought before the religious authorities, Jewish religious authorities of the day, and then eventually to Pontius Pilate. Now, Jesus has been explaining to his disciples throughout his three-plus years of ministry that he must suffer, he must die at the hands of sinful men. Jesus announced again his soon departure which we've read in John 13 today, which Keith did for us. We appreciate that. Jesus, again, knowing that very shortly he would be going to the cross, that he was going to be separated from his father, and he was about to suffer and die an agonizing death by crucifixion. Again, he was not thinking of his own brutal suffering and death that was shortly to take place, but instead he was concerned what his disciples would soon encounter. Now here in this upper room, after Judas has left, Jesus knew that the world of his 11 remaining disciples here would be shattered. They would be stunned, discouraged, confused. They would be devastated. They would feel forsaken and abandoned. And they would be filled with what? Anxiety and worry. Knowing that they would be troubled, Jesus gives these words of comfort to them on this night right before his death. So let's look into John 14, verses 1 through 6. Please follow as I read. 
Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. God bless the reading of his word, and let's open in prayer. Father God, may these words that were recorded by your servant John, spoken by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be words of comfort for us this day and, and every day. Make them fresh and alive and active in us through the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask this through Jesus Christ our Lord and for your glory. Amen. One of the problems from preaching from such a familiar text as this is that you tend to lose people rather fast. There's a tendency to feel, since you know the words so well, and I'm sure many of us have this passage memorized, we start to kind of tune out. I, I beg you, don't do that today, please. This is God's word. These six verses have been broken up into four sections. They're listed on the notes on the reverse side of the prayer sheet if you have them. Listed them as the, the person, the place, the promise, and the pathway or the plan if you prefer. Verse 1 is the person. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Do not let your heart be troubled. We find this passage repeated again in the same chapter, but in verse 27, which says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Each believer is responsible for the state of his or her heart. Now think about that. You see in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 states this, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. 3.3 3 of Proverbs says, Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Proverbs 3.5 states this, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. 4.23 records this. Watch over your heart with all diligence. From, from, from it flows the springs of life. And just so you don't think this is just an Old Testament idea, we see even in James 4, he states, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, if we can let our hearts keep commandments, if we can write kindness and truth on our hearts, if we can trust with all of our hearts, if we can watch over or guard our hearts, if we can purify our hearts, 
I will suggest that the scriptures indicate that we have a certain amount of control over our hearts. There seems to be a choice or an action on what we allow, what we do to or do with our hearts. How we treat or what we expose our hearts to, what we let our hearts be affected by, what we allow our hearts to dwell on can result in basically how a heart responds or how it feels. I'm suggesting not to harbor and dwell on or to be controlled by troubles. They're all around us. They hit us all the time. Now, rest assured, we're going to encounter troubles probably each day of our lives in one source or another. And even 2 Timothy 3.12 states this, that all who desire, if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to suffer persecution. And as far as I know, persecution is trouble. At least it is for me. Troubles come our way, yet Jesus instructs us not to let your heart be troubled. Now, he wouldn't tell us to do something if we weren't able to do it. And a point to remember here, he gives these words. He spoke them to the disciples and to unto us prior to the giving of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So do not let your heart be troubled. Notice the scripture here indicates, at least in this version, it says heart be troubled. It doesn't make it plural. Now, I grant you some translations that I looked at does have it plural. But as far as I can tell, it really is supposed to be said in the singular. Not that it makes a huge difference, but the point I'm trying to make is this, because I believe Jesus, when he's speaking these words, is speaking it to each disciple as an individual. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Jesus is personalizing this message to the individual. Maybe he looked at each one making eye contact with each one as he was saying these words, do not let your heart be troubled. This message is to be taken personally. It is said for each one of us to apply it personally to our own hearts, our own situations, our own things, our own circumstances that trouble us personally. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Believe also in me. Notice that word also, I emphasize it for a reason, meaning in likewise or just as or in the same manner. And you remember the Jews of Jesus' day, especially the Old Testament saints and stuff, they believed in God. Jesus is telling his disciples, just as you believe in God, you are to believe in me. David in Psalm 56, verse 3 says, When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. And again in Psalm 10, uh, 9, 10, it states, And those who know your name will put their trust in you. We see again, Christ here is stating his place as divinity by saying that just as you believe in God, just as you trust in God, Trust in me. Believe in me. We, are had, we have to have our faith, our trust, our belief, our hope in Jesus Christ. This is the answer to fear and anxiety. Trusting in him. 
Faith in Jesus, believing in Jesus, is the remedy for a troubled heart. Now, the word believe here is actually in the ongoing tense. Jesus is telling them basically to keep on believing, keep on trusting. And why stress this? Well, he knows that what? They're going to be going through some difficult times ahead. He's telling them, don't waver. I'm not going to be with you physically any longer, but keep on believing. This advice is for us today, too. When we get sick, when bad news from the doctor reference some irreversible condition, maybe, when we lose our job or some sort of financial ruin, when we lose our home to flood or fire, as we've been seeing on the news so often today, or maybe even lose a limb or eyesight or some other bodily function, unable to do, do simple tasks that were very easy for us to do before, we are to keep on believing God. Keep on believing in Jesus. We are to trust and continue to put our trust in the person of Jesus Christ. The place. Verse 2. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, many rooms, many apartments, many places to dwell in. Jesus, in leaving them, was going on ahead to prepare a place for them, to make ready a secure room in his Father's house, a heavenly residence where we will be in the Father's house, in the Father's house, a place of intimate dwelling. If you want to say modern days, under the same roof. Not a temporary place, but a dwelling place, a permanent place, a secure place, a place where there'll be no more tears, no more crying. It will be our home. We should be comforted by that fact that there's a place prepared by Jesus himself waiting for each one of us in heaven in the Father's house. What an amazing and comforting thought. The person, Jesus, the place, Father's house. The promise, verse 3. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus, upon leaving and preparing a place, gives his glorious promise. I will come again. I will come again. This is something for us to look forward to every day, something to live by every day. We should be governed how to live, how we talk, how we think, because Jesus is coming again. When could this be? At any moment. It's imminent. I don't believe that Jesus' coming is going to take a certain event to occur before he comes for us to take us home. I believe this is a reference, is not a reference actually, to Jesus' second coming, because Jesus' second coming will be with all his saints. And if you're one of his saints, you'll be coming with him at that time. 
Jesus' second coming involves judgment. We don't see any mention of judgment in these verses here, in this text. There's no mention of establishing a kingdom here at this time either. We're going with Jesus. We don't have angels mentioned here that are gathering up the believers. We are going to him. We will be with him. This is a promise by Jesus himself to personally receive us unto himself. And he says that where I am, there you may be also. And regardless of how you see the end times events play out, perhaps you don't agree with what I just said. I know there are many who differ. But there's a great comforting promise in this when Jesus says, I will come again and receive you to myself. And I think that's a wonderful promise. So we saw the person being Jesus, the place being the Father's house, the promise being that he will come again. And now, fourthly, the plan or the pathway. Verse 4 says, And you know the way where I am going. Remember, Jesus many times foretold of his death on the cross. In John 3, 14, he states, As Moses was li lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. In Mark 8, 31 and Luke 9, 22, almost records word for word the same thing. And he began teaching them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. Further in Luke 24, verse 7, writes this, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. The way where Jesus was going was through the cross. Jesus had to die on the cross and Jesus told his disciples that they could not come. Now the destinations he's referring here is back to the Father, back to God. In John 13, verses 1 and 3, it states this. Now before the Feast of the Tabernacles, excuse me, before the Feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, and that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God. In addition to this, Jesus told them just before this, he was going to the Father's house to prepare a place for them. Now, no doubt there existed some confusion by the disciples over all of this and what Jesus was telling them now. As Thomas, in verse 5, states, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how do we know the way? Now, possibly understanding that Jesus was going to die, but not understanding what was to occur in and around and from his death, knowing Jesus had just told them that they could not come. The question here might be rephrased as something like this. If we don't know where you are going, how can we understand how to get there? It's very much like us today. If you don't plug in the place you're going into your GPS, you're not going to figure out how to get there. So Jesus' answers to Thomas' questions is, is actually the sixth 
I am of the statement in the Gospel of John here. So verse 6, Jesus says to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the way. Jesus is the way to the Father. Jesus is the way. Jesus alone being the way. There's no other way. There's no other way to God but exclusively through Jesus. Acts 4.12 states this, And there is no salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that was given among mankind by which we must be saved. There is salvation in no one else. Now, Jesus earlier referred to himself, as we stated before, in the I Ams as being the door. John 10, 7 through 9 states this. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. And all who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. And any, everyone, excuse me, enters through me will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the way. We must enter through him and only through him. In today's world, believing this, sharing it, proclaiming it, almost always labels you as being narrow-minded, insensitive, intolerant, because we're not accepting any other possible way. When this occurs, we must remind these people, we didn't say that. I didn't say this. Jesus said this. The perfect man, the one who never lied, never sinned, God manifested in the flesh. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He is the way. There are not many paths to God. There are not many truths. There's only one way, one truth, one life, and that is in Jesus. It's interesting that the followers of Jesus in the early church refer to themselves as followers of the way. Now, before the apostle Paul was saved, when he was zealously persecuting the church, in Acts 9, verses 1 and 12, it states this, Now Paul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of our Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if they found any belonging to the way, whether men or women, he might bring them in shackles to Jerusalem. And later on in Acts 19, verses 8 and 9, Paul, after he was converted, while he was at Ephesus, the scriptures tell us that he enters a synagogue and continues speaking out boldly for three months, having discussions and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way, he withdrew from them and took his disciples with him. Later on in that 19th chapter, in verse 23 of Acts, again, still speaking of Ephesus, it says, about that time, a major disturbance occurred in regard to the way. 
major disturbances still occur in regard to the way. People will still speak evil of the way. People will still become hardened and disobedient to the gospel of the way. When we preach the gospel that Jesus is the only way, it causes disturbances, conflicts, and divisions. Friends, I'm telling you, stand firm in the truth of God's holy word. Speak the truth. Speak it in love. Jesus' death and resurrection is the only way. Now, there are troubles all around us. We don't live in a perfect world. We don't live in a perfect country, perfect state or town. And let's face it, none of our homes are perfect either. We don't have a perfect church. Many of us here are discouraged and deeply troubled. We've been at without a pastor now for, what, two and a half years, over two and a half years. And like the disciples, after Jesus was crucified, they were we are tired, disheartened, downcast, and discouraged, some of us. We are troubled. Remember what Jesus said. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I encourage you to keep on trusting, keep on believing. Now, brothers and sisters, please also remember this, the promise that we looked at today. Jesus is coming again. He's prepared a place for us. He will receive us unto himself. I'm encouraging us here. Wait patiently. Watch diligently. Always be ready. And keep on working and keep on trusting until we see him face to face. We are to live out the new commandment that he gave us. Love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. For by this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Now, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you don't know Jesus as being the way, the truth, and the life, and if God has spoken to your heart today, please reach out to myself or one of the other elders. We'd be happy to talk to you. I'd be happy to show you through the scriptures what God's plan of salvation is. If you like, and you can take your name and phone number and put it on the welcome card in the pew in front of you. Check off the appropriate box there and leave it either in the offering plate or on the back table, and we'll contact you. We'll get a hold of you if you're interested. Or if not, even call the churches. Call the uh, number here. Leave a message for us. We'll make an appointment for you. You can come down and sit and talk with us. We'll be happy to share the gospel with you. Let's, let's close this in prayer at this time, okay? As we bow our heads. Uh, Father, as we've looked over the words of your promise, Lord, we looked over your person, your, your plan for us, Father, and, and the place where we're going to be going, Lord. We, we praise you for these truths from your word. Father, we ask again as we're here that you increase our faith, increase our trust, Keep us mindful of your promises, Lord. We know you are coming back. Help us to live each day with that expectation, with that joyful anticipation of your soon return to see you face to face. Help us not to be having a troubled heart about the things that are around us that we see and that we encounter, 
that really have no eternal value to them, Lord. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.